guys. Welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Thank you for pushing play today on episode 103 of the Cork in the Road podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, based in Atlanta, Georgia. And today I'm taking you behind the scenes of the High Museum Wine Auction, the largest fundraising event for the High Museum of Art here in Atlanta, which is the leading art museum in the Southeast. This annual wine auction is the top charity fundraising event in Atlanta, one of the largest charity wine auctions in the U.S. and the number one charity wine auction benefiting the arts. Over the past 30 years, it has generated more than 37 million dollars to support the museum's mission to provide educational programs and various outreach efforts to local youth and to consistently deliver world-class art exhibitions. I got to sit down with Stephen Hargrove, the associate director for the wine auction, to go behind the scenes a little bit of this event that brings so many winemakers to Atlanta each year to showcase, to sell, to celebrate their wines with both consumers and wine industry professionals. Stephen gives us a little history lesson dating back to 1993 and even recalls who has been the longest consecutive participants over the years. We also talk through the schedule of events and how wineries are invited to participate, including a little insight into their annual cultivation trips to meet with winemakers in places like California, Oregon, and Washington. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being on the show, and thank you to the High Museum Wine Auction for the backstage pass this year to all the festivities. It is always so amazing to see the Atlanta wine world shine so brightly during all of these events each year. Coming up for a Cork in the Road LLC, as of this episode airing, I believe there are still a few tickets left for our wine versus beer dinner happening on Saturday, April 22nd at the Epicurean Hotel here in Atlanta. There will be three rounds of wine and beer pairing beverage battles, well, friendly battles, while guests enjoy a three-course menu designed by Epicurean's chef for the evening. You can go to www.acorkintheroad.com to grab your tickets and join us. It's such an awesome venue, and this format always creates a healthy dose of entertainment, so I look forward to seeing everyone there on Saturday. I also just dropped the link on the website to our next event at the Epicurean Hotel on Saturday, May 13th. I'm hosting a sip and style wine and fashion showcase with my handbag design partner, Donna of P. Sherrod Co. This will actually be our second time doing this type of event, and I'm so excited because we have three other local Atlanta designers on board from clothing and jewelry to design five entire looks that will then all be paired with wines and dishes for five themed experiences. Guests will also have a chance to shop the looks and meet the designers after the event, so head to www.corkwithroad.com for that ticket link and you can follow at a cork in the road on instagram for all event updates and also to meet the participating designers when we start releasing who's on board to join us our wine pocket handbags are available for purchase on wineenthusiast.com right now but we will also have them available on site during the spring showcase this episode is generously sponsored by Diane Carpenter and Ross Knoll Vineyard in Sonoma County. They make it possible for me to produce this show and conduct more live in-person tastings with guests 
when they come to Atlanta. You can find a documentary about Rossnell Vineyard and Diane's journey streaming right now on SOM TV. We just got to showcase these wines in Atlanta and we've had a lot of interest in the membership program. So there are three levels with various shipment options and the Grand Cru level of those options includes access to a Sonoma experience with other Sonoma wineries and access to tasting with our winemaker. So if you're interested in learning more about these memberships, you can find all the info on acorkintheroad.com and also sign up for our monthly newsletter there to be the first to know about future tasting events in the area. So lots going on right now, but even more to just be thankful for. So thank you for listening to the show and for tuning in. The next episode will drop on May 4th, featuring Alice Anderson of Amvive Wines. And this episode was recorded live at Perrine's La Pop-Up in Buckhead when Alice visited Atlanta for the very first time. So that will be very fun to share. Until then, cheers and please take care. being on the show thanks for having me have you recovered yet from auction weekend i know we're not that far past the big festivities how are you doing <laughs> no we have not recovered um <laughs> i'm starting to sleep a little better but we're deep into financial reconciliation now making sure that everybody's charge is appropriately done and that we've collected all the money we need to collect and that we're now working with our finance team at the woodruff art center to make sure that all the funds are directed to the right codes in the in the accounting department so it just takes a lot of cleanup to get everything done how long do you think that process will last to get all of the funds allocated what's the typical time frame well last year it took longer than usual because we had a lot of new people so last year was about eight weeks this year we hope to get that cut down to about four weeks yeah so you don't get to rest right everybody goes home but you jump right back into the next phase of work <laughs> yeah i start with the new co-chairs um next tuesday that's planning for 2024 already. Right. Well, I know that you're a pro at event fundraising because I've looked at your resume and I know this is nothing new to you, but how long have you been involved with the High Museum Wine Auction? This last year was my seventh wine auction. So I've been around the block and through a couple of pandemics and, uh, you know, we canceled in 2020, 10 days before the event. So we pivoted and did an online auction that year. And then the next year we did a hybrid event where we had 50 people in the museum live. And then we had about 500 people out in the community that were watching on a live stream and bidding through their phone. So it's certainly easier and nicer to all be back in person under the big tents at Atlantic Station, but we've done a variety of things to make it work. You've been through it all and you totally pivoted. I forgot about the timing was right after that crucial 2020 March. I mean, you guys were right in the thick of full steam ahead and then completely stopping everything. Yeah, we were one of the first events in Atlanta to actually pull the plug. And then like the next day, the NBA pulled out, the Final Four pulled out, everything canceled within about 24 hours after we canceled. So I think we certainly made the right decision, but there were a lot of back and forth and a lot of meetings with our executive leadership with the board trying to figure out what to do and whether or not we could pull it off. But I think we made the best decision. You did make the best decision given all of the circumstances, but that doesn't mean it was easy. <laughs> so thank you for working behind the scenes. And we're going to dive into a lot of the workings of behind the scenes of the auction. But just to kick us off, because we are fresh off the 2023 auction, how much money was raised this year? What was the grand total? Well, the grand total was $2.85 million. So by the time everything's said and done, we may be a little bit closer to 3 million, but that's where we're sitting around that number right now. 
That is no joke. That's so impressive. Amazing. Congratulations to all of you, you, to the whole community of folks. Where does this funding go? We talked about the funds being allocated. What is the end goal for all this money that has been raised? Yeah, the main focus for the wine auction is to help fund special exhibitions that come to the museum and also to help fund um, arts access for the different arts education programs that we have at the museum. So the big one that everyone thinks about is just bringing school kids to the museum. The funds help pay for their bus trip. They pay for their tour of the museum. And then every kid goes home with a coupon to bring their family back for free. But in addition to that, the arts programs also cover you know, um, visually impaired programs and programs for older adults and programs for people on the autism spectrum. So there's a, a whole variety of things that the museum does that this wine auction helps fund. And this must be the main event driver for that fundraising. Is that correct? It's the biggest event for the High Museum and the biggest fundraising event at the Woodruff Arts Center campus. And it may be, if not, one of the biggest fundraising events in the city of Atlanta each year. It raises a lot of money for a very good cause, but it also is this beautiful tie-in of art and wine and collecting and all of these things that are about arts and culture in Atlanta. And I love that that shines through throughout so much of the weekend. But what is it for you, Stephen, about these large-scale fundraising events that just keeps you coming back? Because it is hard work. So you've been in this for years, in this field, in this industry. What keeps you coming back? I always say there are fundraising, there are two types. You either love events or you hate events, and there's no in-between. I happen to be one of the people that love events. So I love the fact that you have to keep all these millions of balls in the air at the same time and that you're working for a goal at the end of the year and that you just work through the checklist, you know, year by year to make sure everything gets done in time so that you have a successful event every March. In addition to the wine auction, I'm also involved with the collector's evening at the museum, with the Paladin dinner um, and with the Driscoll dinner. So there's other fundraising events that happen throughout the year at the museum that I also get involved in. What makes this type of event unique from other types of larger scale charity events? Because I know you came to the high with experience in things like the Atlanta Community Food Bank, Meals on Wheels here in Atlanta. Is there any similarity to other large scale events that you've ever done? I think there are certain things that you still have to do for every event to raise funds. You, know, you have to sell tickets or sell seats. You have to collect the money. Um, most every event has some kind of auction, whether it's small or large. And so those things continue on every year. Um, the thing that makes this unique is that we do it through the help of our vintner and winery friends. So they are kind of the means and the mechanism to the end of raising funds. So it's a great shout out of thanks to them that they come back every year and they donate their wine and their time and they pay for their travel and everything else to get here to sell those amazing trips to California or to Chile or to France um, and also to you know donate their wine for the winemaker dinners, the trade tasting, the vintners reception, everything else. So the wine is the means to the end. And the wines are beautiful. I mean, you just listed off some of the reasons why I love it. One, that people come here for this. Specifically, winemakers themselves are standing behind the tables. They see the importance in this event and they see the visibility that they get when they come to be part of this. How would you describe, though, your personal interest in the wine world? Do you collect wine yourself? Well, certainly over the last seven years, I've learned a lot more about wine and, <laughs> and 
um, started collecting a few bottles. Uh, when I started this job, I decided I would purchase a little wine cooler and I did some research and it said you should buy a cooler that's twice as many bottles you, as you think you will ever have in the house. I started out with, I think, a 24 bottle cooler and then have graduated up to a 52 bottle cooler and it's stuffed full and I have wine under the desk where I'm sitting right now. I have wine on the kitchen counter. So it's certainly one of those things that I enjoy and have learned a lot about and certainly have my favorites over the years as I've visited more and more wineries in California and around the world. So you're saying if you're involved with the High Museum Wine Auction, there's wine in your life now too. It, it kind of spilled over into your personal life, that love of wine. Yeah, I always joke that when I was going through the interview process, my very last interview was with Dick Denny, the founder of the wine auction who passed away this past December. And as we were literally walking out of the building, he says, so do you like wine? And I said, yes. And that was the only question about wine in the entire interview process. But you did say yes to that. And so I that did. sounds like that was the closer. Like, well, then he's on board. <laughs> You're, in. <laughs> You're in. You've got it. You would have said beer. Your life would have taken a different role, Steve. I guess. <laughs> it's so great, though, because drinking the wines that are showcased throughout the auction is a really beautiful way to explore the type of people that are coming because at the end of the day it brings in these people who also love wine are you drinking wine as it leads right up to the auction is that your relaxation at home or like how do you unwind when you're in the thick of a very crucial planning stage do you go home and have wine or do you have something else i usually don't drink the week of the wine auction so much stuff going on that i just feel like i need to have all my full capacities at all times 24 7. So usually my first glass of wine happens around five o'clock on Saturday after the wine auction. And even this year, I kind of got stuck on stage talking to people. So I didn't even get my glass of wine until I got home that night. Steven, I hope you're catching up for a lost time because you put <laughs> on a really big event. And then having those beautiful glasses of wine continues that celebration. As you jump in, like you just said, starting to work already for the 2024 auction. But rough estimate for me how many people are involved year-round with the planning process for the event itself? We have the two co-chairs that really lead the charge, and then we have a committee of probably another 50 people that serve on various committees. There's a wine advisor committee, there's an auction lot committee, there's a winemaker dinner committee. Um, so people funnel into all those different committees, and some of those meet one time a year, and some of them meet multiple times throughout the year. Full-blown you know, we have about 250 volunteers that donate their time for the week of the wine auction, in addition to the committee work. And then, you know, they help coordinate the thousand guests that are there on Saturday, the 900 guests that are there for the trade tasting, and then, you know, the dine around dinners, the gents lunch, the ladies lunch, the high revelry. So grand total, we have almost 3000 people that come through the event, the week of the wine auction in some various form or capacity. Yeah, I think that's what's the coolest part to me that people might not realize if they're not in state or they haven't experienced the auction itself. A lot of people think, oh, that Saturday auction, that's the bang for buck, that's when everything's happening. But you just mentioned so many other events that week that lead up to it. So let's talk a little bit just general outline of the weekend. What are some of the key events for people who have never experienced it? What's the general outline for right now, the week of the wine auction? Yeah, this year we started, we kicked off the week with our ladies lunch and gents lunch on Wednesday. So each of those events had five or six winemakers who were in town pouring their wine for those 
The ladies' lunch was at KR Steak Bar with four female chefs and six female vintners or winemakers. And then the gents' lunch was at Local 3 with Chef Chris Hall and Chef Rob McDaniel. They had five or six winemakers and vintners pouring there. Then Wednesday night, we move into our, wine, our dine around dinners, which are restaurant-hosted dinners, and they come up with the menu and the price, and then we pair them with a winemaker who comes and pours wine. So we had four of those on Wednesday night and a couple on Thursday night this year. Then on Thursday, we move into the trade tasting, which is really geared for the wineries that have Georgia distribution or else they're looking for Georgia distribution. So they pour for the industry, the hotel, the restaurants, all those people who are looking to purchase wines or add wines to their list in their establishments. On Thursday night, we started an event a couple of years ago called High Revelry, which is really geared towards a younger crowd. We had 15 restaurants this year and 28 wineries pouring. So that's Thursday night. And then we have the 12 winemaker dinners going on in the homes around Atlanta. So we find 12 hosts to host these dinners. Each dinner has two winemakers and two chefs, and each dinner seats at least 24 people. Um, our largest dinner on Thursday night is the dinner on the Delta 747 down at the Delta Museum, and that seats 60 guests for that dinner. Then Friday, we move into our tasting seminars. This year, we had three tasting seminars, a Pinot seminar, a, a Bubbles and Caviar seminar, and then we had a, a global seminar with winemakers from around the globe who were here pouring. And we also do a vintners tour for our vintners who are in town. So they come over to the museum, we do a lunch for them, and then our curators take them on a tour. Friday night is our big Friday Uncorked Gala. So our guest chefs this year were Dwayne Nutter and Reginald Washington, who are opening a new restaurant in Atlanta this summer or fall. So 650 guests seated for a three-course dinner, and each table has a winemaker that's pouring their wines at the gala. And then Saturday's the main event with the vintners reception in the morning and then the live auction um, all afternoon. I'm like, I'm exhausted for you, Steve. That's a lot of planning and a lot of coordinating, but the visibility and the amount of people that get to experience at whatever these entry points are, you give lots of opportunities, whether it's just one of the private dinners, whether it's just the trade tasting, like you kind of run the gamut of having people enter into experiencing the people who are in town. Or the auction there's lots of opportunities yeah and we try to plan our events that way so there's an opportunity for everyone to get involved at ticket prices you know the high revelry starts at 125 the gents and ladies lunch now are up to 500 a ticket and then the main event starts at 3500 for the package which is friday saturday night and then as you go up from there you add on other events to those packages so hopefully there's something that a little bit of something for everyone throughout the week there is a little something for everybody. And that just allows also for the people who are in town, all these different ways to showcase their wines. So how do you onboard participating wineries each year? I've always thought about this because there are certain people I see every year. And then there's always some people it's their first time. So what's involved for a winery to choose to participate? A lot of wineries reach out to us throughout the year because they've heard about the event. So each summer we do cultivation trips to Napa and Sonoma. We've also gone to Paso. We've also gone to Oregon. Um, I'm actually heading out to Washington in May. So we visit with new wineries who've either expressed an interest or people have said, hey, you need to meet these people. They're making really great wine. So we take a team with us each summer of 12 to 16 people to go to California and then we divide up into teams of four and we have appointments all day long, Monday through Friday. 
So we do four to five appointments for each team. So the week that we're in California, we'll see around 50 wineries. Most of those are new folks who are interested in attending, but several of them are just people that we are visiting because we'd like to keep them in the fold or we would like to get them back if they haven't been here in a couple of years. So that's really our entry point is that cultivation trip and getting to know the vintners and the winemakers and getting to know their wines. And then we kind of make a decision as a committee as to whether we want to invite them to participate. So they do get invited. So it is kind of a two-way street. It's that they want to be involved, but you still are sending those invitations directly. Right. You just can't call, dial in and sign up. Um, we do send out, it's an invitation process that's selected by the Wine Advisory Committee. So those invitations go out each September for participation in the March event. That's so cool. I did not know that it was an invite still process. I mean, obviously a lot of people are going to show interest, but you still have that final say and you know your capacity for that. But I'm so impressed each year of how many, like I said, the winemakers themselves are here. Do you know if there's a winery who has been involved the most consecutive years? Yeah, there's two. Um, <gasps> Oban Clamat and ZD Wines both started with us in 1993 and have participated in some form every year since then. Um, Jim Clendenin from Oban Clamat used to attend almost every year until he passed away a couple years ago. There was one year I think he had to back out because of a bum knee, but otherwise he was here almost every year. Last year, his daughter Isabel poured, and this year his son Knox poured at the event. Um, Knox was actually telling me that his parents met at the High Museum Atlanta Wine Auction. I had not heard that story until Knox told me this year. So he says that, you know, that the wine auction holds a very special place in their family's hearts and that they will always be involved. Um, but yeah, ZD is also another winery that's been involved since the very beginning. I, that, okay, two fun connections to that. I actually thought that might be a difficult question. I didn't know if you would know off the top of your head the consecutive years. So that's so neat that that was just automatic. Yep, these two. Last year... I had the opportunity to serve at the Friday dinner and Isabel was at my table. So I got to serve her wines and talk with her and mingle with those guests. And then number two, I first visited ZD in California after trying their wines first time at the auction. There's, those are two great showcases of long-standing traditions and participants in this event. Yeah, all the people, the new people we bring in, we hope that they will be, you know, returning to the wine auction each year. Some of our folks um, have made the decision to come every other year. Um, and then because of the Napa fires over the last three and four years, some of our people have really had to cut back on their charity events because they simply don't have the product to donate at this point. Hopefully when their production gets back up, they'll be back. Yeah, because all of that wine is pre-allocated for the auction specifically. Correct. Yes. Okay. So then they send it to Atlanta and it's ready for the for the big show. But one of the events that you mentioned in the itinerary was a trade show. And I personally really like that. It's always a highlight for me. It showcases a lot of Atlanta wine professionals in different roles and how it moves through the market here. So I just like watching everybody have an eye on the same wines and tasting things and giving feedback directly to the wineries. But how often would you say that wineries are picked up specifically from showcasing to our distributors here in Atlanta. Do they tell you how often that happens? I don't know how often it happens, but it certainly does. I know over the past couple of years, I assisted with a couple of wineries getting distribution in Georgia. I remember last year there was a new winery from Paso. I was literally just grabbing distributors by the hand and say, hey, you need to meet these folks. 
their wines are fantastic and they're just great people. So I was just dragging people over there to meet them. One of the things that makes our wine auction week unique compared to other wine auctions throughout the country is the fact that we do the trade tasting. And that's one thing that vintners continuously tell us that that's the reason they come every year is because they have that opportunity to get in front of the trade at the trade tasting on Thursday. Yes. They also have an opportunity to talk to consumers. So it's kind of like you get the Atlanta market, but then you're just getting people who also buy wine and collect wine. I know a lot of collectors end up at the auction itself, but then also at the big party, the uncorked party and things like that. And I'm thinking about that Friday dinner because the sommelier team and the service team, it's all volunteer based and they come and they take care of all the tables that have the winemakers sitting with them. But all the wines are pre-allocated for those tables. And I know that going back in the, we call it the wine cave, you go back in the wine cave and there are a lot of people back there who are helping to move the wine through. So let's give a quick shout out to the wine librarians, because that's what they, that's their, that's their whole job is to keep track of these wines and make sure people are getting the right wines at the tables. How many people are involved in the storing and organizing of the wines? I think it's about 15 people that work that week. You know, our main consultant works on it all year long, but I think the unique thing that people don't realize is that 90% of our product comes through the distributors in Atlanta. So it starts in California, it's shipped through their Georgia distributor, and then the Georgia distributor puts it all on a truck and drives it over to the tents at Atlantic Station. It comes on big pallets, and then once it gets there, it basically has to be you know, unboxed and unpalleted and inventoried and then allocated to each event. So... Our vendors go in and they indicate they're going to pour six bottles of this at the trade tasting. They're going to pour two bottles of this at the Friday night. They're going to pour five bottles of this at the vintner reception. So all that has to be sorted and allocated as well as just the wine and the auction lots that are coming. So it's it's a huge inventory process that happens in basically 24 hours from Tuesday to Wednesday before the, all the events start. Again, it's just so much organizing, but also it all pays off because you have to be organized with that. Even to the numbers of the bottles that are allocated for those tables, you can't pick the wrong wines. And we know from being on the service team that the winemakers know which wines they brought. And so you want to make sure that those move correctly throughout all of these events. And there are people that are making sure that happens. So shout out to the wine, the wine librarians yes. because I saw them in action. It was so impressive. And then let's talk a little bit about the Saturday auction lots themselves, because I actually first saw the auction as a volunteer. I started doing, one year I was the person who had to go up after someone bid and get their credit card information. That was me. I would chase people around. Um, and I also one year shot off the cannons. So, you know, I was part of the, the auction celebration and it's always such a joy to watch people get these prizes and these trips and everything. How do you acquire the auction lots? Do you work directly with people to plan what those are, or do they propose what they want to be auctioning off? Yeah, we start that conversation where we're in California in the summer, especially with the new people, and really encourage them to think what is unique and out of the box, things that our guests could not get on their own if they just show up in California. We want more than just a tour and a tasting. Um, you know, we're looking for that private dinner with the winemaker in the vineyard or access to Charlie Palmer at his restaurant or something like that. You know, we've auctioned off everything from tickets to the Bottle Rock Festival in Napa to they have an arts week out there. We've done trips to Paso and Oregon and 
this year we had trips to France and Chile and just a host of other places. Italy, one of our biggest lots was the trip to Italy. So we start that conversation then, but then throughout the year, we ask the wine, the wineries to indicate what they're going to donate. So as those come in, we start thinking about, hey, can this stand alone? Does it need something else? Can we put two wineries together? So we've done that a lot in the past too. It's like one person has a tour and a tasting and a home to people stay in and somebody else has a private dinner. And it's like, oh, we can throw that together and make it a nice trip. So it's a constant back and forth between the people. And a lot of times, especially for the new people, they're like, I just have no idea. What could I do? And so we work with them to throw out ideas, whether it's a dinner in Atlanta or a trip or whatever it might be. You know, one of the unique things we had this year was a private train ride with Lassiter on their private train through their vineyards. So that's something that's not available to the public. You kind of have to have an in with the owners. And so that was something unique that we did this year. Have an in or you top bid on the auction lot, the high wine auction, which is really cool. But any, you've kind of mentioned some standouts because I feel like you see so many of what the opportunities are for people to bid on and what is coming through. You're right. They're unique. They're not just something you can just call up or purchase online. Like these are not those types of auction lots. Is there one, Stephen, that you personally wish that you would have been able to win the bid for? Is there one that you're like, oh, that would have been perfect for me? Well, I love the Vic Chile property in it's about two hours south of Santiago, Chile. The architecture is just incredibly stunning. I mean, as soon as you walk up to the actual winemaking facility, it's just this modern art piece set in the middle of the vineyard and just the whole process and the way they make wines with all the gravity flow and everything else. And then you actually get in a little Jeep and go up the hill to their hotel, which is just a unique piece of art by itself. It looks like a spaceship that's kind of set down in the foothills of the Andes. And every room is designed by different, mostly Chilean artists, a couple of Argentinians. And so every person's stay there is going to be unique. Um, and I encourage people every year to bid high, bid often on that one. Uh, I even had somebody this year that I thought was going to be able to sell it again after the auction. She's decided she's going to hold out till next year. But it's certainly just a dream trip for anyone who loves wine and wants to go to South America and hang out with a really fun winemaker also. Christian Vallejo is so fun and interesting to hang out with and, and so charming. So it's just an all-around great trip. So that would be one one of, at the top of my list that I would love to win. I want that for you. I want you to go. <laughs> I want you to go and I want you to come back and tell us all about it. Because I do think a lot of those trips and what's offered probably also does inspire people in the room. Even if they're not the top bidder, they might say, oh, wow, that sounds like a really cool experience. They might learn the chef's name. They might learn the place that they're staying or the hotel offering or just a winery that they didn't know you could go and visit and do something like that. So you're inspiring people to continue to travel and learn about wine through that. Who is coming to the auction? Have you gotten an idea over the years of the types of people that are purchasing, especially for the Saturday? Like who's in the room? Yeah, it's usually, it's mostly Atlanta-based. Um, it's people who do collect wine and love wine. I will say, though, the thing that I hear over and over is that the reason why people buy auction lots is because they make a connection with the winemaker or the vendor. 
So that's the number one reason they buy the lot. Sometimes it's because it's unique, has a unique aspect, but really it's tied to the winemaker. So if they've met the winemaker at the gents lunch or ladies lunch, or they sat with them at an in-home dinner, then it really piques their interest in their auction lot because they're like, hey, I get to go hang out with Juan Mercado in Paso and try his new wines and, and become friends with him. And then they come back and tell all their friends like, oh yeah, I know Juan Mercado. So it's, you know, it's a lot of it is bragging rights, I think, <laughs> but uh, it's certainly it's the unique experiences that it's also getting know, getting to know the winemakers and the vintners. Um, we had a situation a few years ago where we had a vintner that came to the wine auction and he complained that he didn't sell any wine. And I really think it was just people did not connect to him. His wines were great, but they didn't connect with him personally. So therefore they didn't purchase isn't that interesting? Because it is about being in the room, creating those experiences here in Atlanta, and then creating that ongoing relationship or opening the dialogue for future trips, future purchases. That does happen. And that's a personal connection that occurs. Exactly. Yeah. That's the number one reason why people, I think, buy these lots is either they already have a personal connection or they want to create a connection with either an owner or a winemaker. And we didn't even talk about this, but I did notice this year specifically, and I know it happens every year, but I was seeing this, especially at the tables where people are getting their, their crew together to come to the auction. Sometimes it's businesses. So there might be a Delta table or there's a Home Depot table. Is that part of a sponsorship package that you're offering to people that can also attend the auction? Yeah, we offer sponsorship packages every year. Delta has been our presenting sponsor for many, many years. Um, so each of the sponsors does have a table there that day. Some of them are more involved in the bidding than others. Um, so we certainly appreciate it when they bring their guests that are willing to buy an auction lot while they're there. So that's kind of the, you know, what we're looking for is those people that can bring people to the table that are willing to bid while they're there. Right. So it's part of the sponsorship, but it's not necessarily the employees or directly associated. They can invite guests to fill those seats. Right. Sometimes it's guests, sometimes it's clients. It's a great um, client development opportunity for some businesses. So they actually reach out to their top clients and say, hey, you know, do you want to attend the wine auction? And if people love wine, they're usually answered yes quickly to jump on that invitation. So, Well, then you're filling the room with people who are excited about being there. <laughs> so the energy on that Saturday is just wild. It's so much fun. And we're talking about the people in the room that are bidding and having that dialogue with what they want to be purchasing. But then we also have the room full of who we mentioned earlier, a lot of the volunteers. And there are people that I met this year that said they've been volunteering for more than 10 years for this auction. And I just, I love it because they are fans of what happens. And that's a huge reason why so much of the operations can occur. So how are you finding the volunteers and who are they? Is it people from all different walks of life? Like, tell me about the volunteer crew. Yeah, the volunteer crew, it really is people from all different walks of life all throughout Atlanta. And as you said, we have that uh, core group that has been with us for many, many years. Um, I met a volunteer last year who said she'd been doing it for 20 years. A lot of the people like to come back and do the same job year after year. So the people who sign up for the trade tasting come back and do the trade tasting every year. And the people who do vendors reception do vendors reception every year. The people who do the food basket preparation in the morning for the wine auction, they come back and do that every year. 
So yeah, we're always reaching out for new people. Um, this year we did a big push to try to reach out to some corporations to see if we could tap into their volunteer pool, which helped a little bit. You know, as you know, on that Saturday, it's just a bundle of people that we need to do a whole variety of jobs starting from eight in the morning until six o'clock in the afternoon. So there's different shifts and each shift has a different job and a different captain. And um, so it's a lot of recruiting. It's a lot of orientations beforehand and emails and coordinating with people to know where they're supposed to be when. And then also just the contingency plans of if people don't show up, you know, they get sick or they had an accident or something that doesn't allow them to attend that day. So we're always trying to schedule a few extra people for every shift to make sure that every job is covered. It's incredible, though, the energy that I have seen be part of people that are volunteering. Like when people decide to volunteer, they are 100% committed and there is no beating <laughs> that type of energy to help out at this event. Yeah, I mean, and we certainly couldn't do it without them. I mean, otherwise we'd have to pay, you know, 250 extra staff members. I mean, at the museum, we only have 125 full-time staff. So, you know, we'd be hiring from temp agencies or something if we didn't have the volunteers that, would, that are donating their time to help us produce everything that has to go on. And then less funds for the programs that we talked exactly. about at the beginning of the show. Yeah. So they really do make it all happen. And just the support and the smiles that I see every time I walk in any of these events, the volunteers are so committed. So cheers to everybody who volunteered this year. I saw you. It was awesome. It was so, so yep. great. And that's really cool to think about these opportunities to support. What is the best way, or maybe there isn't until the event happens, is there a way to support throughout the year? Is there a way to be involved year-round to support the auction? Well, we have that committee that has different functions throughout the year. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, we start with our new co-chairs um, April 11th. And one of the first committees we'll start putting together is the Wine Advisory Committee. So they'll make recommendations about who we should visit when we go to um, California this summer. I think we're going to try to do an Oregon trip again this year. We have not been to Oregon since 2019. The pandemic kind of put the kibosh on that, but we'd like to get some more of those Oregon folks back or find some new people from Oregon to come. Just kind of diversify our pool. As you notice, um, the vast majority of our wineries do come from California, and we just like to spread the wealth a little bit and get some people from other areas of the country as well as other areas of the world. Um, as you know, every state in the nation now has a winery, so there's no lack of um, people out there that we could recruit to come to the wine auction. Great point. I didn't even think about this, that if it's your first time there, you might think, oh, is a requirement that you have some tie to California or something because it is very well represented. But this year, some of my favorite wines that I discovered at the trade tasting specifically were from Oregon and from South Africa. So, you know, it does, <laughs> I mean, I have my favorites that I go visit all the time in California. And also it helps me, like I said, plan for my next trip out there. But the Oregon wines that were there were pretty phenomenal. And then, yeah, there was a whole lineup of a bang for buck South African portfolio that I was really excited. And it looked like they weren't super distributed yet in this market. So I was just excited to discover that kind of thing. Yeah, the Oregon wines are really nice. They're coming along. They are, uh, the price point's a little bit more affordable than the California wines. Um, I love going to Oregon because it's certainly not as crowded as Napa and Sonoma. It kind of feels like Napa 30 years ago. It's still easy to get hotel reservations and restaurant reservations and you don't fight the traffic from winery to winery like you do when you're in Napa. So I enjoy going to Oregon. I'm certainly looking forward to making a trip out there again. 
And thank you for being an ambassador for what is happening for wine in Atlanta when you do this, because if you go as this group, not only are you meeting with them to learn about their wines, but that's just another way to spread the word about this annual event that is hosted here for the purpose of wine in Atlanta. Well, I always tell the winemakers too, you know, our goal is for them to sell wine while they're here. We want to make it profitable for them. We want them to bring their order forms and to sign up people on their wine club list. So we certainly do as much as we can to help facilitate that. We want people to donate, but we also want them to, you know, feel like it's a successful event, a marketing event for them while they're in town. So you are going to be going on these trips. You're going to be looking for more people to join next year. Is there anything in particular, though, that you are looking forward to or excited about, about 2023? You've done some impressive world travel yourself, personally, and I've always wanted to do some of that myself. But do you have any trips, work or non-work related? What's exciting you about 2023? Well, in May, I head to Seattle for the Wine Auction Conference, which people always laugh about, but we haven't been able to hold a conference since 2018. The 2020 conference was scheduled for right after the wine auction got canceled. And then the 22 conference again got canceled because of COVID concerns. So this is the first year that we're meeting as a group. There are now about 50 charity wine auctions throughout the nation. And so we all get together and trade best practices and trade ideas. And also, honestly, we trade auction lots. So I'm looking forward to that. But then um, my big trip this year is going to be in the fall, it looks like. So I'm going to go to Morocco, which is not known for wine, but it's known for incredible tourism and food. So I'm looking forward to that. Ooh, that's that's one of my husband's top bucket list trips is Morocco. So whenever that happens, sounds like I've got some inside knowledge to get from you, Stephen, about planning my Morocco trip. But I didn't even know that there was a conference about wine auctions, but it makes sense because I posted some recaps of this year's auction and I had a winemaker friend in Sonoma County say, oh, I love that auctioneer. So we didn't even talk about this, but it's a big deal. Who is the auctioneer? Because from coast to coast, known for his work with wine auctions. Yeah, our auctioneer is John Curley from Seattle. Uh, We brought him, the first year was 2018. He was such a huge success that we've continued to use him every year. Um, He is quite the showman. He does more than just auctioneer. He plays music. He gets people up and dancing. He gets people singing. Um, he gets the winemakers involved with playing the rhythm instruments while they're on stage and other stuff. So he's very entertaining, very high energy. This year, he worked so hard that he sweat through all of his clothes. And his assistant actually emailed me afterwards and said, I saw some pictures and it looks like he's wearing a leather shirt. But she says, I know it was just sweat. It's like, yeah, his shirt was soaking wet by the end of the wine auction. That's how hard he's working. I mean, it is aerobic exercise. Like the way that he is conducting that and has the room energized, he's pouring that energy in. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? Well, there was a great story a couple of years ago. Somebody asked um, one of our consultants if we pay John Curley as an auctioneer. I said, yes, we pay him a flat fee. And they thought that was unusual because they just, got auctioneering services donated and right at that point it was one of those lots that was kind of plateauing it wasn't going anywhere so john stopped started playing sweet caroline got the whole audience up everybody was swaying back and forth then he went back and auctioned a lot for another fifteen thousand dollars and our consultant said by getting that crowd up and energized coming back and selling the lot for fifteen thousand more he just covered his fee so 
covered his face. He did he did more than was expected, but totally equaled that out. Amazing. Yeah. What but that's his experience. So he travels around and does a lot of these other auctions. He does. And he not only does wine auctions, he does other charity events throughout the country. So he did tell me this year he's cutting back next year, but he's going to keep us on his schedule, but he's just not going to do as many other events around the country. So you guys still have an in. <laughs> he's not going to miss the Atlanta wine auction. That's right. really, really good news. But at this conference, you're sharing best practices. What are some of the key elements that you think have made the Atlanta High Museum wine auction successful to this date? What are some of the key changes you've made that have contributed to the success up to this point? Yeah, this is this past year was our 31st wine auction. Um, the event started in 1993. Um, through the years, we've tried different things. Uh, you know, the High Revelry was a new event that we started a couple of years ago that's become pretty successful. Um, the Ladies' Lunch and Gents' Lunch, the Ladies' Lunch started, I think, in 2014 or 15. So that's continued to be added to the schedule. Other events come and go as we figure out whether they're successful or not. We used to do a thing called the Uncorking Crew, which was geared towards a younger crowd that um, happened on Friday night at the same time as the gala. And that was kind of waning. And so that's when we shifted to our focus to the High Revelry. And now the High Revelry seems to be successful. So we pivot as the years go through. I think next year, our co-chairs really kind of want to reconfigure the entire event, probably keep the same events, but maybe not in the same order. So we'll see what that looks like after we start planning with them. Ooh, that's a big teaser. That is a big, we just walked through the itinerary and I'm like, what are they going to come up with? So keep us posted. But yeah. that reminds me, as you are planning for the next year and look, people are already looking forward to it, it's such an amazing event here. What is the best way to connect with the auction and learn more about the events for 2024? Yeah, the best way is to get on our mailing list. So if you email wineauctioninfo at high.org, we will add you to the mailing list and let us know whether you're interested in attending as a bidder or if you're interested in volunteering and we'll get you in the right category. Uh, we send out emails throughout the year. Uh, we have an email database of around 4,000 people. Uh, we post things on social media. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. So people can find information there. And then also just going to our website, which is highmuseumwine.org. So there are ways to get the communication so we know how to plan for next March. <laughs> so we know to have all of those events on the calendar and be prepared to welcome everybody to Atlanta. Every year I just go, wow, Atlanta wine community shining so brightly because it is showcasing the city, the hospitality, and the interest in wine here to people from all over the country and the world that come for this event. So thank you, Stephen, for coordinating so much and making this possible. Thank you. Just a shout out the dates next year, March 20th through 23rd, back at Atlantic Station. You heard it here. Okay, everybody's writing this down. They're like, put this in the calendar. Thank you so much, Stephen. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. This is Kelly signing off. Until next time, when we share stories of people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry and the wine world beyond. If you want more adventures with us, check us out online and on Instagram at a cork in the road. And you can also visit our website, www.acorkintheroad.com, for all kinds of updates and to sign up for our monthly newsletter. Cheers and take care.